0: The show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman.
1: For the last week, I have been living in a place where the sky is big, the days are slow, and the scorpions are real. There is no television here, no wireless, no taxis or subways, no FedEx, no Starbucks, no McDonald's, no Chinese food delivery. I am living, for the moment, in an unbranded world. The only noises in this remotest part of Tuscany are the opera of the birds and the roosters, the hum of an occasional tractor, the sing-song Italian of the neighbors nearby, and the Wednesday visit from the fishmonger. I am staying at the home of a friend in this small Tuscan village and with me are five other close friends. We are a myriad of nationalities in this house, Canadian, Mexican, and American, and we all have different sensibilities and tastes and opinions. What we do have in common, other than our affection for each other, is that we all brought rather unique things from home in order to make our stay here more comfortable and more like, well, home. Marion brought her favorite cereal bowl. Mark and Karen brought a free juice that they like. And I lugged along nine 20-ounce bottles of Diet Dr. Pepper. This, of course, caused my luggage to bulge somewhat perilously, and it was so serious a cause for consternation that when I had to carry it, it was so heavy and cumbersome that I nicknamed the bag Henry in honor of this 165-pound Rottweiler that my parents own, who I became convinced that the bag resembled. I think that my bottles of Diet Dr. Pepper are both a sad and comforting sight, Sad, because, of course, one can't help but wonder why I can't go without a silly soft drink for seven days, but also comforting because they are a common and consistent part of my vernacular that has accompanied me on this journey. The things that we see around us are often attributed to how we see our place in the world, and those that create and distribute brands are convinced that the choices that we make with those brands signal who we are and define and distinguish our affiliations. I don't think that my choice of Diet Dr. Pepper necessarily signals any personal brand affiliation per se. It is more of a nascent choice, really, one that I have trouble explaining, and maybe, just maybe, it is as simple as I like the way it tastes. But maybe I'm just fooling myself. William Gibson, in his novel Pattern Recognition, has one of his characters describe branding this way. All truly viable advertising addresses the older, deeper mind beyond language and logic. You know in your limbic brain, the seat of instinct, the mammalian brain, deeper, wider, beyond logic. What we think of as mind is only a sort of jumped-up gland piggybacking on the reptilian brainstem and the older mammalian mind. But it is our culture that tricks us into recognizing it as all of consciousness, the mammalian spreads continent-wide beneath it, mute and muscular, attending its ancient agenda, and it makes us buy things. I do think that we buy things to help us fit in and feel more comfortable, and being part of a larger tribe, so to speak, is no doubt one of the benefits of global branding. Brands create intimate worlds and habits can understand, and where they can be somebody and feel as if they belong. I think Marty Neumeyer states it best when he confides his thoughts about tribes he belongs to in his book, The Brand Gap. He says, We can belong to the Callaway Club when we play golf, the Volkswagen Tribe when we drive to work, the williams Sonoma Tribe when we cook a meal, the Nike Club when we work out. He goes on to say, As a weekend athlete, my two nagging doubts are that I might be congenitally lazy, and then I might have a little actual ability. But I'm not really worried about my shoes. When the Nike folks say, just do it, they're peering into my soul. I begin to feel that if they understand me that well, their shoes are probably pretty good. I am then willing to join the tribe of Nike. But to see the world in brand tribes is to take possession of much more than just a theory of the world. It is to possess a theory of all the activity in it, perhaps an entire science, an ethology that could tell us everything we want to know about human behavior. I think the way Neumeier describes brands is probably the most poetic and forgiving of the place that produces, that products have in our life now. That mammalian part of our brain is indeed the part of the brain that makes us want to be part of a tribe. And I do think that we buy the brands that make us feel part of that tribe in order to be able to participate in that tribe. But I think it goes even deeper than that. We are buying brands and products to be part of a tribe because now, in the day and age and culture and world we are living in, we are otherwise tribeless. We feel tribeless and disconnected because despite our technological connectedness, We are emotionally and physically further away from our friends and family than ever before in human history. We have now replaced true closeness with people, with closeness, with brands that, at best, only represent that we are close to other human beings. On the second night, my friends and I were here in Tuscany. We experienced a blackout. All of the lights in the house went out at once. And as we were getting ready for bed, and our villa became an inky, blue, impenetrable black, and as we were completely in a foreign environment and had not memorized the paths to bathrooms and stairs and through the small hallways and pathways of the house, I panicked. As the adrenaline coursed through my veins and as I tripped over the concrete step in my bedroom to find the door, I had only one thought, to make sure that my friends were safe. Nothing else mattered. After I knew that everyone was secure in their bedrooms, I sat awake in the dark thinking about them and listened to the silence. I recognized that sharing a worldwide iPod phenomena cannot bring us closer to other people. It simply indicates that we all like something in common. While participating in brand movements may indeed give us an illusion of inclusion, they will never be able to substitute for the profound and prehistoric mammalian instinct to meaningfully connect with other human beings to what I believe is only one true need, and that is the need to experience love. While we may try to substitute the feeling with any number of things, no brand, no iPod, no sneaker, no soft drink, and no golf club will be ever able to connect us more powerfully, more intrinsically, and more viscerally than love. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is William Lunderman. Before we get started with today's interview, please let me tell you a bit more about him. As Vice President of Global Design, William is responsible for creative marketing and communications for the Colgate-Palmolive Company and its subsidiaries worldwide. He has management responsibility and oversight, both creatively and strategically, for maintaining brand identity and consistent global brand communication. William has an extensive creative career, which began with his work in several prestigious design studios in New York City, and there he gained experience on a broad broad spectrum of products and brands. There's a versatile foundation in design categories ranging from liquor, tobacco, food, fragrances, cosmetics, and so forth, soon led him to the corporate environment. Prior to joining Colgate, Bill was the Vice President of Global Design at the Campbell Soup Company, where he worked to transform the look of Campbell's in supermarkets worldwide. And William spent 18 years at Revlon in New York City, where he rose through the ranks from designer to Vice President of Creative Services. He has been the recipient of numerous industry awards. He is a frequent speaker at industry events and active in promoting interest in design among young people. Welcome, Bill.
2: Thank you. Welcome. So nice to hear your voice. Uh, thank you, Debbie. It's very nice that you've invited me to uh, to join you and join your audience today.
1: Oh, thank you.
2: Thank you. Well, we are commuting, so to speak,
1: through the telephone. I am in Tuscany. You, I believe, are in Philadelphia. Yes. The, the wonders of technology, dial-up connection in a remote village in Tuscany.
2: <laughs> exactly. I'm, um, I'm extremely jealous because uh, Tuscany sounds just so lovely, and I'm sure that you're enjoying yourself. Oh, thank you.
1: Well, the first thing I want to ask
2: you is about something that I heard you say at a design conference several years ago, and I've
1: remembered it all these years later. Um, you said, I like to scare people at work. Tell me what you meant by that.
2: Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are uh, a lot of things that, uh, that I do uh, when I'm working, but what was the, uh, I would say, the background for that statement was really coming from this uh, this idea that quite often in corporate America, we have a tendency to use uh, terms that we use over and over and over. For example? Innovation. Uh-huh. Everyone wants to talk about innovation. Everyone wants to talk about think outside of the box. And one of the things that I believe is that if you're really going to do something different, uh, it's going to make people nervous. And when I was talking about scare people at work, I was really talking about getting them outside of their comfort zone, getting them to a place where they, uh, they could understand that we are getting ready to do something different and not walk in say, all right, today we're going to do innovation, or today we're going to think outside of the box, and everyone's prepared. Mm -hmm. So if you take uh, that kind of situation and move it when you're unprepared, suddenly you are a little nervous, and when you're nervous, you get scared. Now, how do you help people
1: manage through that fear? Is there a way that you've um, managed to learn how to sort of work the um, vernacular, so to speak, of that fear in corporate America? Uh, I have not done that very well.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know about that, given some of your history. Each day, each day I'm I'm still scaring people. Uh huh. One of the things that I try to do is try to get uh, to get us to think. Uh, very simple about our brands and, and what it is that we're really trying to do because quite often, uh, we have a tendency to, to overthink things. And, uh, one of the things is that I believe that, uh, a brand is nothing without its consumers. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the best ways to do that is to really communicate your brand and and its essence and positioning through what I call natural language. I mean, mm-hmm. very straightforward language. Uh, quite often, as marketers, we uh, begin to overthink that, and we often want to uh, communicate far more information than, uh, than a consumer is looking for, so um, I'm really trying to get back to a place where we can talk about, uh, natural language, uh, where a brand should really, uh, well, I'll say the purpose of a brand should be that it should, uh, market intent versus content. Market intent versus content. Absolutely. Because quite often, uh, that seems to be our our natural way of wanting to do things. Oh, this does this. It's so much better than something else, and it contains these things. But let's talk about intent because that's what connects the consumer. Uh, as you opened, you talked about the, uh, you know, the limbic brain, the, mm-hmm. the mammalian brain, and how that, uh, how it seems to to move you. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. Colter Rapai, and Rapai talks about this, and one of the things he always leaves you with is the fact that the reptilian brain always wins. And if you can figure out how you can get to that one, that would be wonderful. Well, Bill, I
1: want to come back after our break and talk a lot more about this. i um, been doing a lot of research on the brain lately and understanding how and why we think the way that we do. So when we come back from our break, I'd like to pick up our conversation. In the meantime, I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Melman, and my guest today is Bill Lunderman. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away.
3: Listen, wherever you are, 24-hour business and financial news, solid, focused, and informed. The leader in business talk, Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com.
1: And now, Voices of Design, a documentary series brought to you by Adobe Systems. The Voices of Design series brings together different voices from the design community to share and exchange ideas on various topics. Today's show features a three-part discussion focused on the topic of sustainability. This is part one. Enjoy.
4: What is sustainability, and what does it mean to the design community? Let's listen to what the designers at the Compost Modern 2006 conference have to say on this topic in Adobe's Voices of Design series. Here is Phil Hamlet, Chairman, AIGA Environmental Committee. The definition of sustainability that I like to use is quite simple. It's basically leave the place in better shape than you found it. Scott Summit, Summit ID.
3: Sustainability is particularly elusive, especially in industrial design, and that's one of the main reasons I'm here is to try to get a handle on what it means and just how it applies to what I do every day and what I can impart to my clients.
4: Mark Willard, IDO. The pressure is on, and whoever solves it in a more sustainable and desirable way is ahead of the game and and is what, whether people sort of consciously or subconsciously know it, it's, it's definitely what we need. You have been listening to the Voices of Design series brought to you by Adobe Systems. To grow a company, revenues need
0: to grow. To grow revenues, the organization needs to grow. But what does it take to get and keep quality personnel needed to grow business? Tune into Real People, Really Leading with Trish Lambert. Get the inside scoop on how to leverage your best assets to sustained business growth. Trish and her expert guests, from business owners to CEOs to solopreneurs, share the knowledge, experience, and business savvy they have used to lead their teams to continual and persistent business victory. Real People, Really Leading, broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. Real people really leading because knowing is growing.
3: Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business.
0: We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman.
1: Welcome back. It is 3.19 Eastern Time. It is 9.19 p.m. in Italy, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from Tuscany. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is Bill Lunderman. If you'd like to join our conversation or if you have a question for Bill, our phone lines are now open. Please call 1-866-472-5790. So Bill, before the break, we were talking about the brain, the limbic brain, the mammalian brain, and the reptilian brain. Um, And I do think it's really interesting to think about how the reptilian brain is that part of the brain that governs all of our instincts, those things that make us get an adrenaline rush or give us a sense of needing to get out of the way, what part of the brain do you think is most responsible for the urge to buy? Uh,
2: I really believe that it is a combination of all. Uh, but one of the things that quite often I'm trying to uh, to see if I can deliver against is the uh, reptilian? Because somehow, if we can touch that, uh, it gets you right back into the place where uh, you're going to do it instinctively. But uh, of course, it is a combination of all of them uh, as we move through from uh, the cortex to the limbic and right down to the uh, reptilian. It's it's a Combination of all. Bill, do you hear music? Is it just me or do you hear music playing? I'm hearing music and I thought perhaps it's something wonderful that's going on in the world of Italy. Okay, no, it was uh, our producers that were playing the music and I'm glad they've stopped it because
1: as much as I like that tune, it was a little bit annoying. Yes. (laughs) It's so funny that you wonder about all the possible things that could go wrong when you're doing a radio show this far away, and then something funny happens there at the studio.
2: But Um, but we haven't... Pardon? I say it's so wonderful when you're doing things uh, live, Yes.
1: Well, as they say, anything can happen in live radio, and it does. Um, but we have a couple of callers on the line for you. First, we have Gregory from New York. Gregory, thank you for calling Design Matters. Thanks. Hi, Debbie. Hi. Hi how are you? Good. Thanks for um, calling. We we've come to expect your calls every week,
5: Gregory. <laughs> Bill, I'm so excited to join this show. I really am. Um, Very good. Thank you, you Gregory. Have, you just have an associate listening to Debbie talk about your associations. I mean, you've you've been connected with literally iconic American consumer product companies. And um, something I've called in and I've said many times and asked of people on the show, but I think you're probably the most qualified person to um, render your opinion, and I'm curious. I want to know um, how important do you think that knowledge of brand heritage is, uh, in helping young designers find inspiration when they're designing uh, for classic products, number one and number two, do you think certain things, for example, like the Campbell soup can, is off limits to redesign?
2: Okay, well let's uh, let's talk about brand heritage first. Um, I think that we all must understand the heritage of, of brands and. Quite often, it's much more meaningful to uh, to a consumer than than we really believe. Because when you have brands that have been around for quite some time, uh, they bring with them uh, a lot of credibility. But what we must do is understand how to trade on that credibility. Because uh, one of the things that I have realized in my business uh, over the um, the years that, that I've done this, is uh, when you have loyal customers and consumers, uh, and if you follow them all of the time, what you will do is you will become as old as they are.
6: <laughs>
2: well said. <laughs> so with that, we must always be able to uh, be willing to refresh uh, things and understand how to make them relevant. Uh, I think that uh, I'm really into communication and trying to help people understand the right way to communicate. And uh, very often in business, you'll hear the word modernize, or you'll get uh, design briefs or creative briefs that say, we want to contemporize this. People should talk about being relevant. And if you Think of your brand in terms of how do I make it relevant, keep it relevant. What that will, what that will do is it will give you license to make certain changes. Uh, so with that, there's absolutely nothing that you can say, oh, it can never change. Uh, even uh, something as, uh, I'm going to say, as stable as Chanel has changed over the years. Me. Look at what Gary is doing with Chanel these days, uh, He's totally taking it to a different place. Uh, Coca-Cola has evolved. Uh, Campbell's, believe it or not, uh, has evolved. The red and white can, uh, we have made changes to that when I was there. Uh, so absolutely, number one, understand, know, and embrace that heritage about the brand. But the second one is be prepared to keep it relevant, and that gives you the license to move forward. Okay. I knew you were the right person to
5: to ask that of. And the one last thing I would say to you is please promise me you will not stop making my palm olive shaving soap in the tube because my <laughs> life will end
2: if you do. Well, uh, Greg, as I said, uh, you have to make sure if you continue to follow your best customers, you'll become as old as they are. I'm only 45. Come on. <laughs> okay.
1: Bill, so, you know, I want to ask you one question about heritage and, and continuing to um, honor the look that a brand has over the years. Um from what I understand, Campbell's has not dramatically changed four of the base flavors of the canned soup despite changing all of the other flavors. I believe it's tomato, chicken noodle, cream of mushroom, and I believe there's one other. Why haven't the uh brands, why haven't, why haven't the designs changed for those specific SKUs and all of the others have
2: indeed changed? Well, part of that is um Campbell sits in sort of a a unique place where there has become something that, uh, I guess, people refer to it as iconic. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, there has been some slight changes, but, I mean, very minor uh, when you uh, compare them to some of the other changes that have been made. And uh, with that... I'm sure that uh, when I left there, the company had said, oh, we need to understand how to trade on that. And and I think that what has happened is with Campbell's, uh, very similar to, I'm going to say, a brand like, uh, well, I'll use Volkswagen and I'll use the Mini Cooper as examples where sometimes being able to go back or to... Uh, promote what what got you there is a very good thing, and I believe that um, Campbell's should should ride that wave as long as they can in terms of that ownership of red and white because uh, a lot of the consumers who are coming into the market today are 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 sit in two interesting places. Either they are the ones who uh, know the brand or they are the ones who didn't know it and they are longing for something that represents that stability, uh, that time when, uh, gee, well, I want the good simplicity in life. I don't want something that has been uh, uh, over-manufactured in terms of uh, all of these different uh technological things that can happen to it. So uh, I believe that uh, Volkswagen did a great job with this when they brought back the Beetle. Uh, Mini Cooper has done a great job of it, bringing back uh, the look of the classic Mini Cooper. And Campbell's holding on was able to actually bring it back by not moving it.
1: It very, very interesting. I, I, I keep wondering every time I go and look in the aisles and look at the Campbell's soup if that will ever, those cans specifically will ever change. Um, we do have another caller on the line, Darrelin from New Jersey. Thank you for calling. Design Matters.
6: Good afternoon, everyone. Good Hello, af- Bill.
1: Good afternoon, Darrelin. It's a I, familiar voice.
6: I, I should resist. let our listeners
1: know that Bill and Darylin, uh have worked together in the past, and Darrelin is now the head of design at Campbell's, taking Bill's place after his mentorship
6: there. Yes, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing to hear you on Debbie's show, Bill, and I'm uh, thrilled to have the opportunity to ask you a question from a different perspective.
2: Very good.
6: Okay. So I had a couple, but I'll, I'll just stick with one. And what I'd like to know is, in your new role, how do you see uh, branding as changing to reflect changes in our consumer preferences and consumer expectations and against the trends that are happening now, and specifically maybe against wellness?
2: Um, well, let's see. I think that, number one, uh, at at Colgate, uh, and, and I have been very fortunate to be associated with some, some great brands around the world, and Colgate sits in that same type of space where – uh, our brands are either number one or market leaders in all of the different places uh, that we market in the world and one of the things that uh, that I'm finding is that when you're sitting in a in a space like that, what happens is you can start to to leverage that in a different way by allowing the brand to uh to start to create what um, i guess you might call some consumer evangelism where consumers will start to talk about your brand and talk about what those uh intrinsic things are about it <coughs> excuse me uh about it that they really love and what that does is it gives you the ability to understand how to to move it forward in a different type of way. Bill, we're going to have to take a a short break, but Daryl, if you'll stay on the
1: line with us, we can continue with your question when we come back from our break. In the meantime, I'd like to let everybody know that you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Melman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Melman, and my guest today is Bill Lunderman. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away.
3: dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com.
1: And now, part two of Adobe's Voices of Design series, a documentary that brings together different voices from the design community to share and exchange. Today's topic is sustainability. Enjoy.
4: The Challenge of Sustainable Design. Let's listen to what the designers at the Compost Modern 2006 conference have to say on this topic in Adobe's Voices of Design series. Here is Sonora Bean, Digital Hive Ecological Design.
6: Sustainability isn't just a great idea, but it's a design challenge. And so as designers, how can we use our skills and our thinking and our strategy to promote social change?
4: Ron Radziner, Marmal Radziner Architects.
5: I think that architecture, as a profession, that we've become too removed from the actual act of making, and we've become kind of just aesthetic consultants, and I think that our office is this attempt to bring that all back together, which is really how buildings used to be designed and built, and take responsibility for what we design.
4: You have been listening to the Voices of Design series brought to you by Adobe Systems. Can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kinda like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just... I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like,
6: Ugh! Uh, 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 uh. There you go.
4: You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
0: You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker, The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, The Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, The Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, businessamericaradio.com.
3: Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. We're
0: back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866 472 5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman.
1: Live from Tuscany, you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the only talk radio show on the Internet focusing on issues relating to graphic design. Branding and Culture. I am Debbie Millman, your host, and my guest today is Bill Lunderman. If you'd like to join our conversation, if you have a question for Bill, our phone lines are opened, 1-866-472-5790. And before the break, we had Darrelin calling in with a question for Bill. Darrelin and Bill, formerly colleagues at Campbell's. Darrelin, do you want to rephrase your question again so that our listeners can pick up where we left off?
6: Sure, Debbie. I'd love to. Thank you. So, Bill, I was asking, how was branding or how has branding changed to reflect changes in consumer preferences, consumer expectations, and trends in the marketplace such as wellness?
2: Okay. Uh, let me be a little bit more specific to that this time. Uh, I'm not sure if it's, if it's really changed <laughs> because, number one, uh, I've always believed that uh, – Consumers uh, really are the ones who owned our brands, and uh, perhaps the biggest change is that today uh, is the way that that we treat consumers when we are talking to them. Uh, and I'll try to elaborate a little bit on that in terms of if if consumers own our brands, then uh, what we have done in the past we did not want to treat them as though they own things. Absolutely, I agree, completely. So so we had a tendency to try to take them where we wanted them to go. When, in fact, I think that they do own them, I agree with you there. Right. And uh, when you talk about wellness and some of the trends, what we need to do is we need to uh, look at our consumers as, as our bosses and uh, quit trying to control them and to actually give them more control. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, Bill, when you talk about, and, you know, with
1: Carolyn asking you about wellness, Mm -hmm. the trends that we see most fast-moving consumer goods companies putting forth are things that are um, whether it be South Beach or low-fat, no-fat, low-carb, high-protein. Those are things that are just sort of moments in time. They represent a specific fad. They're not really trends. Trends are, you know, things that happen over over many periods of years. Fads happen sort of month to month. And, in fact, I think it's just really to capitalize on the pocketbook of the consumer and not really in in an effort to help consumers um, feel better, make healthier choices. I mean, I think if that were the case, we wouldn't see an epidemic of obesity in in our country the way we do now with over 23% of the
2: U.S. population being obese. Um, Exactly. But also, uh, when you think about things like that, I'm I'm looking at it from a perspective of uh, when I talk about giving consumers more control, uh, as opposed to trying to control them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you look at what, uh, what Dove has done with, uh, the whole esteem piece, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we're doing is let's indulge the consumer. Uh, so when you think about, and I see wellness as, as also part of esteem. It's all the same. One oh, that's is, nice. uh-huh. is uh, you know, where, all right, this is what I put into my body, but the other one is this is how I reflect myself as my body. Uh, so the idea that Dove has has come back with, which is to uh, indulge their consumer so that they understand, yes, we believe in you and we understand who you are and That's what we should be promoting as part of our brand as opposed to trying to lead you in a particular direction. Right. Uh, so again, you're coming back to that, to that natural language. You know, it's, it's the way that we should be talking to consumers. Uh, it's, you know, what I would, I would term as trying to compete on, uh, perfect information. (laughs) You know, uh, and perfect information is what my consumer would love to hear.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, well, I think it's that a matter of relates to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a matter of conversing with them as opposed to manipulating them, which okay. is, I think, why so many people have so many bad things to say about what brands are doing because it's not really about conversing. It's really about. It, it tends to be something that is more manipulative than it is about uh, steam building. Oh, absolutely. Um, um, Thank you so much for calling, Daryl. And Bill, the phone lines are just off the hook today. We have another caller, Renee from New York. Thank you for calling Design Matters. No, I guess not. (laughs) Well, good. This gives me an opportunity to talk a little bit more about you.
2: Um, Let's talk about some of your history. How did you get started in this business, Bill? Um, I think it was something that I was destined to to do. Destined in what way? In terms of I've always... uh, been interested in creative, uh, and I'm going to say creative endeavors. Uh, you know, of course, as a uh, as a young person, I'm going to say in my uh, preteen years, I did a lot of drawing and things like that. But one of the things was I always was interested in trying to see the world and to see things uh, differently. And, and that to me is the essence of, of being creative. Uh, and later on when I, uh, I intentionally went to a university where Buckminster Fuller was the chairman of the department because, uh, I thought, here's someone that I can relate to who doesn't see the world as round but sees it in this sort of Dymaxium kind of thing and, uh, what I learned from Buckminster Fuller was that what we should be first are problem solvers
6: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and understanding how to, uh, to come up with a a different way to approach or address a, uh, problem or situation. So when I say destined, that was it. Uh, everything started to take off from there. Coming to New York City, uh, I wasn't sure exactly where to channel this. I thought that perhaps I would be the one who would be sitting back, uh, doing some design work with, uh, in those days, uh, record albums, uh, the covers, and meeting stars and things like that. But pretty soon, uh, I realized that it was much more to uh, to this than just the uh I'm going to say the surface glamour. Mm-hmm. And uh sort of started to move in different directions. Uh left the country at one point, lived uh in in the uh, in the Middle East, uh really, how long did you live in the Middle East? Uh for two years. What part of the Middle East? Uh in Israel.
1: Oh interesting.
2: Yes. So uh and Very different perspective. Totally. I've been there many times. Very, very different perspective. And then, uh, you know, studying in, uh, in other countries. I studied in, in, at the University of Mexico in Mexico City. So, uh, got a chance to again experience a different type of culture. And when you start to try to put all of those things together, it's, uh, it really leads you to these different places that we are right now in our lives. And it seems as though the brands that I've uh, been associated with um, have have certain things in common. They're all great brands, uh, mm-hmm. Revlon, Campbell's, uh, Colgate. Uh, the a lot other, of red. A lot <laughs> of red and white. <laughs> they all have that one red and white thing. <laughs> I had to ask you about that. Yes, well... Uh, and someone mentioned that to me the other day and said, uh, you know, Coca-Cola's out there. And I yeah, said, No, no, no. <laughs> I, I think I'm where I need to be, and that's it. Yeah.
1: Well, we have to take uh,
2: our last commercial break, Bill. I'd like to um, thank you for
1: that um, and let our listeners know that this is Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman. And my guest today is the lovely and erudite Bill Lunderman. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away.
3: Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com.
1: And now, part two of Adobe's Voices of Design series, a documentary that brings together different voices from the design community to share and exchange. Today's topic is sustainability. Enjoy.
4: The Power of Designers and Their Influence on Sustainability. Let's listen to what the designers at the Compost Modern 2006 conference have to say on this topic in Adobe's Voices of Design series. Here's Michael Schwab, Schwab Design. Design does influence people, and whether it's subconsciously or or obviously, design does mean a lot, and and, and it leaves a lasting impression. Paul Sappho, Institute for the Future. Designers are thought leaders, and they're action leaders. Designers have got to get this right, and they've got to define it right, because if they get it wrong, all their wrong ideas are going to be embedded in everything everybody else uses. Mark Willard, IDEO. Designers have been shaping culture for as long as there's been design. We have a huge opportunity, and I think before long it's going to be an obligation or a mandate to figure out how to solve these projects, these issues, these desires with sustainably relevant solutions. You have been listening to the Voices of Design series brought to you by Adobe Systems. The challenge of change comes as ramped up
0: due to the advent of information age and the interconnectedness of the global community. In a high-tech world, the ability to embrace change, adapt, and respond accordingly is key to personal and professional success. Talking Change with Ann Powers, airing every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, Explores the hows, whys, and what to do when faced with change. Embrace the new reality. Adopt transition into your personal power portfolio. And tune into Talking Change with Ann Powers every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Bottom Line of Business Talk, Voice America Business. Learn to thrive, not just survive, in business and careers. Unleash your full potential and greatness with the Thrive Factor. Unleashing your potential with tactical coaches and success masters. Hosts Dory Willer and Eva Gregory. Dory, Eva, and their masters of thriving expert guests inform, educate, elucidate, and inspire with leading edge information. The Thrive Factor. Unleashing your potential with Dory Willer and Eva Gregory. broadcast each Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. The Thrive factor success and inspiration at the click of a mouse
3: the bottom line in business talk voice america business
0: We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman.
1: Welcome back. It is 3.47 Eastern Time. It is 9.47 in the evening in Tuscany. And you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is Bill Lunderman. If you'd like to join our conversation, if you have a question for Bill, our phone lines are open. Please call 1-866-472-5790. And before the break, I was talking to Bill a little bit about his history, and he was talking about uh, his entry into the creative business. Um, Bill, I wanted to ask you, um, what made you decide to work on the client side? What made you decide to go into uh, corporate America, so
2: to speak? Uh, Actually, Debbie, I'm... I'm not sure if I consciously made that decision. Uh, what had happened, is I mentioned to you that I uh, lived outside of the U.S. Yes. And I was working always in a studio environment, uh, and I wasn't happy with that and decided to leave the country. And then when I came back, um, there was this, very challenging world of corporate, and um, I actually had a meeting with Charles Revson, who uh, sort of enticed me to come and work at uh, at Revlon. And how did he entice you to work at Revlon? Well, at the time, and, and this you know shows how I'm going to date myself, but at the time, um, he had just launched a brand called Charlie.
6: Mm, which, yes,
2: which was extremely revolutionary, because you know it represented uh, a lot of the embodiment and and I'd say the empowerment that women were were taking on at that particular point. And uh, enticed me by saying, we want someone who's going to think of this in a different way, and someone who can take this brand and manage it and do things with it. That uh, have not been done in the past, and to bring another corporate person in to do that uh, was his idea of of the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. So he wanted a a little bit of a, as he called it, a uh, a spirited thinker. So he wanted you to scare people even back then. <laughs> At that point exactly, and. And I took this on saying, well, it'll never last beyond three years. And, and you were there 18, I believe. I was there 18.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, in all your many years in the business at Revlon, at Campbell's, at now Colgate-Palmolive, um, I know you've worked with some of the world's best design firms. Yeah. What would you say are the top three things that designers need to know about branding
2: now? Ooh, uh, I'm going the tough to, questions for to last <laughs> no, that's, <right. laughs> that's a very it's a great question. Um, I would say that the the first one is to go back to something I talked about before is to understand that uh, our consumers really are the ones who own our brands. so uh, don't don't forget that. Don't take your eye off of that. No matter how much information that you may receive through consumer insights and, um basis data and all of these different things, always go back to that. So that would be one of the first things.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, one of the other ones, and, and it's a very, very simple question, uh, that I have, I've learned to, to ask and I've learned to, to be prepared for uh, all types of answers is to, from time to time, uh, whether it's walking down the street, whether it's in a supermarket, or whatever, but not any controlled environment. Mm-hmm. If you see a consumer interacting with your brand, ask them a very simple question, and and that simple question is. Would you recommend this brand to others, and you'll be surprised at what type of answers you can get mm, I'm sure, yeah, because it's usually uh it's a very quick question, and then you can come back and ask uh not so much why but tell what your interests are in it and see if they would speak to that uh, so that's that's kind of some simple market research. Um, and the last one would be for anyone that's working on a brand, no matter what your role is, is to try to run your particular aspect of that business as though you're the CEO. Take full ownership mm-hmm. uh, and, and I know that, that may be a, a little difficult to think about, but I, quite often I sit back and I say, okay, if this is my brand, what would I want to really do for them that's going to make a difference? And, uh, it, it seems to work. Now, there seems to be quite
1: a, Antenna spotlight, so to speak, on design right now from corporations. I think a lot of that is being led by A.G. Lafley and, and what he's doing at Procter & Gamble, and, and rumor had it that that was one of the reasons that you were brought to Colgate-Palmolive to sort of do some of that revolutionary work that is now happening uh, in, in the environment at, at Colgate. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think that CEOs are suddenly taking notice? What is, what is that... Paradigm shift that you think that has occurred in in our culture now to make design that much more important than it's ever been before.
2: Uh, I think that it's uh, oh it, it's connected to I'm going to say an evolving uh, consumer base because uh, number one, if we look at at what we have done as uh, as communicators, we have taught Consumers everything uh, that we know about our brands. <laughs> what have, else is there then, right? <laughs> yes, we have bombarded them with all types of uh, information, whether it was advertising or what have you. We have been able to uh, to educate them and bring them up to levels of understanding information on uh, on. On our brands, uh, information on the packages, uh, even to the point of of turning some consumers into chemists, mm-hmm. where you know you're you're pronouncing uh, you know multi-syllable words that uh, in the past wouldn't mean anything to you. In the past, it was something as simple as uh, you know sugar or what have you, and now you know we talking about trans fatty acids and then we will go into details around what those are so when you educate your your market at some point you must go back to what is it that really appeals to them mm-hmm. and and now there's this whole thing of everyone talking about well it's an emotional thing and and this isn't any new news. It's always been emotional, but we never wanted to talk to them that way.
1: Interesting. So we have one last caller on the line before mm-hmm. we have to end the show. Uh, Renee, if you're still there, thank you for calling Design Matters. Yes. Oh, okay. good. Thank for know. waiting. Hello, Debbie, as well. Hello. We miss you here. Yes. I just wanted Bill to know I've been waiting the whole show to call and it's like trying to vote on American Idol to talk to you today, Bill.
2: Okay. Well, I'm impressed. Thank you. <laughs>
1: um, I guess on the agency side, we hear so many times clients say they want their brands to be the next
6: Nike, the next Starbucks, the next Target, now the next iPod, and they're not always willing to take the risks. So it gets sometimes it gets old fast, frankly. Right. I'm
1: curious on the client side, how many times... P&G is potentially overmentioned
6: as a goal, and hearing you in the show, you obviously have um, unique energy, unique perspective, and you're not a Me Too kind of guy. So what are you
1: doing to not emulate that and still make change? And we'll have to do that in about
2: one minute, Bill. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) Big question. Exactly what I told you we weren't going to do. No, it's a great question. Uh, Number one, what... What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to bring a higher level of involvement at 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 all entities where where we connect with our consumer in terms of the actual brand and also a higher level of involvement within the corporate world as to how we even talk to our consumers. Uh, and I'll try to do this in a very quick way of giving you a quick little story of, uh, Colgate recently acquired uh, the, a controlling interest in Tom's of Maine. Mm-hmm. And Tom's of Maine is one of these uh, really, really amazing brands that consumers connect to. But in a conversation uh, with our management, uh, Tom Chappell, who is the CEO and founder of Tom's, uh, was mentioning how they're talking to consumers and giving us a complete business review, and he mentioned uh, something that hit a chord with me, and he talked about our consumer dialogue uh, department. Now, listen at that consumer dialogue as opposed to consumer affairs or a hotline. I mean, suddenly there's a connection that goes in both directions so on a corporate level we need to start to connect and think that way as opposed to us always thinking corporately we're going to talk to the consumer we're going to tell them because it's their brand of uh, even the way that we treat uh let's say some of the instruments let's uh, a package We talk about the back panel, and we should never say the back panel. (laughs) It's the information panel. So if we can think of it as the information panel because we've educated consumers that way, perhaps internally we will be able to start to think, oh, well, I don't need to try to say that on the front of the pack. I can move it to the information panel. Thanks. Well, Bill, got um, through. I'm sorry, we're, we're going to
1: have to uh, stop because I think there's another show that goes on after me, and they're probably killing me in Arizona where this is being broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to thank you for being on the show today. Very, very much, and thank you for calling Renee. I'd like to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Adobe and Nina Paper. I'd also like to thank Brian E. Gomez Palacio, Marion Banshees, and Karen Greenberg for helping me with this broadcast, and Ruben Colomb and Brian Travis at Voice America for making this happen in the first place. Joining me next week is the extraordinary Ann Willoughby. Thank you for listening, and remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I am Debbie Melman, and I look forward to talking with you next week.
0: Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.